Good. Hey, uh, it's been great to be with you. Uh, people have asked and made comments and um, observations or told me something that has stuck out for you as a speaker. Uh, I pray, uh, you know, I don't know your particular context, but I'm always praying that something that might be said would speak to your particular context spiritually and as a parent. So we're going to talk about uh, a little more on the parenting side of, with focus. And then tonight, we're going to repeat a couple of these pieces with kids in the room. Uh, seventh through ninth graders are going to join us. And so I always have fun with that. It's a bit of a challenge to speak to kids and adults. So it's starting to look like school today. We got the whitey board out. That'll be perfect right there. Uh, right, right up on top. Yeah, right there. I think that'll be perfect. And then I'll be able to, there's just, I have something I have to go old school and go a little whiteboard. So thank you guys. Um, uh, a, a couple of details. Um, I brought some resources. Again, not, everybody's different. So uh, there's a little table over by the t-shirt table. It's, I brought some parenting resources and books if you're interested. Uh, let us know they're 15% off, which is like huge sale for us. Um, and if there's also a little piece of paper, if you're interested in getting uh, youth leadership's junk, I, I mean important uh, news updates or anything, um, you feel free to do that. Or if your church might be interested in having us come out and do something, uh, let us know uh, that's available out there. Um, we also want to be practical and give you good ideas section, um, uh, things that might, you might be able to use as a parent. So I found this picture. I thought this might be a, a helpful little resource for you. It's called our Get Along shirt. <laughs> Can't really see their faces too well, but they're not very excited about the idea. <laughs> but that's, a, that's a, it's part of the deal. I also, as I mentioned, I love uh, kids' perspective on life. Um, so this is kids talking to God, writing down little prayers. Um, Peter writes, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. <laughs> just pretty simple request. And Sam writes, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big but not with so much hair all over. <laughs> it's a kid's perspective. Um, uh, Nan writes, dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all the people. It's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can't even do that. <laughs> uh, and this, I love this personal approach. Mickey D writes, dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. <laughs> Um, and then, but then Nora writes, I don't ever feel alone since I've known about you. Simple prayer. Um, I read the Bible. What does begat mean? No one will tell me. <laughs> Love, Allison. <laughs> and Lucy writes, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? And uh, Anita's living in a home that uh, requires prayer. Is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? <laughs> Thank you for my baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> not all that. It's just not the same. So I want to think with you uh, a little bit about um, this whole idea of parenting specifically. Uh, we've been kind of doing some other things as well. But let's be honest about a couple things. There are three things I'd like to tell you, and I will tell these things in front of your kids tonight. Uh, one is we are untrained for this job. Um, Let's just be honest, we really don't know what we're doing. Some of you were more prepared. You had a social, you were women, uh, you had social skills, you used noun and verbs in the same sentence, and you shared feeling words. I mean, that's way ahead of guys. 
But all of us are really, you had no idea. Remember when you brought your first, well, for, let's start with this. How many of you are the oldest child in your family of origin? Raise your hand, look around the room. These are bitter people. <laughs> because their parents didn't know what they were doing. They changed the rules on your younger brother and sister, didn't you? And you're still needing therapy about it, right? How many of you are the youngest in your family of origin? Usually someone accompanies with, woohoo! Because we kind of knew we flew under the radar, right? I'm the youngest. It was like, whatever. My parents were catatonic by the time I was born. <laughs> I was fourth out of four. It was in four years before, after my brother, I was in an accident, you know. So they, they just sort of, my oldest brother, uh, his, his picture memory book is like this thick. Mine has three pictures that the neighbors took. <laughs> you know, because it was like, didn't really get noticed. If I didn't blow something up, nobody cared. You know, I walked in the room and my dad said, Tiger, you're walking. I said, Dad, I'm four. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> but see, you and I are untrained for this job, aren't we? We think we know what we're doing, but that's when you bring your firstborn to the nursery and church and they go, is this your first? And you go, yeah, and they go, oh, that's so sweet. They give you that patronizing look because they know that you think you know, but you really don't know all that you're getting into, right? This is a visual, people hate me on this one, uh, called bad parenting. <laughs> no ducks were harmed in the filming of this. <laughs> they were all rescued. <laughs> now, those of you who are parenting into the adolescent years, <laughs> This is gonna change, I'm gonna take that off the screen. <laughs> the, uh, it, it moves from what I say, you get into the honeymoon period of parenting, which is your 10 year period from age two to age about 12, where you sort of have routines and you're sort of in control and they like you and they're not totally embarrassed by you and you kind of start to think, I'm pretty good at this. And then they turn, what, 10, 11, 12, 13, depending on the personality of your child, and something happens. And all of a sudden, you're as untrained for that chapter of parenting as you were at the beginning. Here's the difference. It's harder to admit it. So if you're in that chapter, it's okay. This is a safe place to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. Things are changing off. Just this summer, things are changing, and I'm not ready for that. It's moving from parenting dogs who love to be with you, to parenting cats who let you stay in the house with them, right? Um, I have a, a, a video I want to show you, uh, parenting into the adolescent years. Uh, it's got a couple inappropriate spots, but you're mature, I know you can handle this. Uh, but it's dogs, it's parenting dogs to cats. Ready, here we go. Ah, what's up, man? Oh, it's so good to see you. Hey, buddy. Oh, I know I saw you this morning, but it seems like it's been forever. We gotta celebrate. What do you wanna do? Hey, let, let's go throw this puppy around, huh? Go yeah. outside, get some fresh air? Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. I'll put my stuff down. Alright. What's up, Jimmy? Hey man, what are you doing? Are you cooking? Do you need any help? I can help. 
No, I'm good. Actually, where's the basil? Uh, bottom drawer. <laughs> what is this? I am so sorry. I don't even deserve to be here. I'll just go get paper towels and clean it up and leave. <laughs> We're out of cereal. <laughs> Your friend's weird. Yeah, I don't think he likes you. He doesn't really like anyone. Untrained for parenting cats. We were untrained for parenting our first one, and then it, it, it all changes. So let's just admit that, okay? The second thing is we're tired. Aren't you? Physically tired, just tired. And here's some what happens is um, uh, watch Ryan and Laura with these two girls, and I just, there's this physical tiredness in those early stages. Just, it's like, oh my gosh, they're awake already. And you know, you feel like you're getting short of sleep. What happens as you move into the preteen and the teen thing, in addition to the physical tiredness, is you get an emotional tiredness. Um, you get tired of the dynamics. You get tired of all kinds. Don't we get just tired of the stuff that parenting uh, is constantly in front of us? All the broken things. Man, kids are like destructo machines, aren't they? They're just wrecking stuff all the time. Um, and, and so we get tired of that. We get tired when they get into that defiance stage and we're tired of conflict. I don't know any parent who wakes up in the morning and thinks, I have a great idea. I'd like to start the day with a fight Bef before I even get my coffee. You know, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be a great way? And yet that starts to happen. Um, we get tired of all kinds of things. And uh, tiredness makes us act weird. When you're untrained, you kind of act weird. You try something and then you try something else and you grab an idea. And then when you're tired, you overreact. You've heard this, you've told your kids this, you need to get your sleep. Because when you're tired, you overreact and you're crabby. And then you and I live in perpetual tiredness, which means we tend to be crabby and overreactive. So tiredness is part of parenting. Um, what happens with adolescents is what my friend calls the brain drain game. They get good at trying to suck the brain out of your head. They don't care if they win or lose an argument, they just love the experience of watching you lose your brain. And uh, so what, pay attention to how they'll try to put a vacuum, just suck the brain out of your head. It doesn't matter, again, they just watch the blood drain out of your face, usually associated with a pointed finger. Don't you, you know. Um, that's part of what happens, we get tired of that. We get and the fact is, we're scared. Like we, remember, we all hope that our kids are not want, and no, if we're honest, there's a part of us that goes, I don't know how I'm doing. What happens if? What if they turn out? Ugh. 
And then they're gonna write a book about me. You know, something's gonna happen. I think we're afraid. Um, Subaru tapped into this fear, especially for parents of teenagers when they made this commercial uh, a while ago. So uh, your seat good? Get the mirrors all adjusted so you can see everything okay? Just stay off the freeways, all right? I don't want you going out on those yet. Just leave your phone in your purse. I don't want you texting. Daddy, okay? Okay. There you go. Be careful. Thanks, Dad. Call me, but not while you're driving. <laughs> we knew this day was coming. We knew this day was coming. That's, that's part of the fear, is we know this day is coming. And so uh, what I'd like to think with you about is on that journey of being untrained, tired, and scared. Three things we're going to have to admit in front of our kid, teenagers tonight. Uh, and by the way, you'll be the exception, and you can tell them later that, that you're the one that is trained and you're not tired. <laughs> but um, that is just, again, maybe a safe place to admit that. And once you know that, you can move into some healthy things. We're going to talk about traits of healthy families. And the last trait ties into this so that uh, it'll, it'll pull it together. Um, so I want to, again, give you some thoughts that I've been wrestling with about families. Uh, I want to give you five functions that I think the job of our families is, as we uh, have been given by God. There are two institutions that God has created. One is the church, and one is the family. They're designed to work together to build the faith that we talked about that sticks in the lives of our children. And so as an institution that God has created, the first job of the family is to shelter our kids. It's a protection place. It's a place where our kids are, are uh, surrounded in, in loving arms and protected and sheltered. By the way, none of us have to be told to do this. The minute you brought your firstborn home, you wanted to drive home from the hospital in an armored vehicle, didn't you? Because intuitively, in fact, if you read news reports of parents who are not here because they're really unhealthy and they don't protect their children, don't you have any kind of a reaction to it? Because it's normal... It's part of what the first job of parenting is to shelter our children. And that's important. By the way, sheltering our children looks different in 2014 than it did in 2000 or 1814 because uh, there was much more physical protection. Now protection takes on different dimensions as they get older and in the technological world. Uh, we put together a se seminar and we did in churches on teens and technology, whatever parent needs to know, partly to help us be more strategic about this because it really is a, a, a new world. The second is loving, to love our kids. That's part of the job, to remember to speak to their needs, to be loved, valuable, not alone. That's the job of the family, to the primary place where that message is spoken. That message is communicated verbally, non-verbally, consistently through every stage of life. Sheltering and protecting. Um, I grew up in a family where alcoholism, unfortunately, tripped up a lot of these. So that message of being loved, valued, but not alone was not being given with any consistency whatsoever. And the mixed messages caused me to wrestle with that for many years. Um, and it wasn't until I met Jesus that was able to address some of that stuff. But loving and protecting um, often comes natural. Um, we love our kids, that's for, for sure. There's a book out there that really is one of the older ones, been rewritten, called How to Really Love Your Child, How to Really Love Your Teenage. It's a great book. Because he talks about the different, we all love our children. It's not the issue of whether you love your kids. It's whether they feel love consistently uh, when they live in the experience of living in your home. And that's about those needs, love, valuable, not alone. Um, just as a little kind of brain break, um, there's a song called um, In My Arms by Plum. 
written by this woman who had her first child and this song came. And notice how the first two functions come naturally to her in this song.
can relate to that kind of tone, that kind of belief, and that's part of our job is to shelter and love. I um, talk about one of my kids, and I can still remember when that was everything for me and Mandy, and yet there was a period where she didn't want to be a part of that. So we're going to come back to that, sheltering and loving. It's a critical part of our job. Third major function of our family is to teach. Again, the two institutions, teaching about God, teaching about life and faith and life skills, et cetera, is all is designed to come through the family. And in our busy world, uh, more and more of our families are giving that primary teaching role of all kinds of things to other groups. Um, but uh, again, why I asked last night for you to kind of w- start wondering about your four goals is because that'll help you focus on what are the things that you're not going to delegate to someone else. That you're going to say, these are the teachings that I'm going to really focus on. Um, whether it be, again, responsibility or money management or whatever those things are, both faith, values, practical life. And then the challenge to us is as hard as modeling, (laughs) you know, that that they need to see what we teach show up somewhere close in real life, and that's hard. I know this gets uh, tricky. Um, When I was growing up, uh, we had a road that went at a 45-degree angle to uh, a a highway, and so... uh, Grown up, all would roll down the hill, never really stop at the stop sign, but look, and then my dad would roll through the stop sign slowly and get on to Highway 95, and we'd go, to, go north. When I got my license, do you think there was any chance that I was stopping at the stop sign at the end of our road? There, there was almost zero chance. Um, I do know I challenged it when I was in a hurry going on a date, and I was come roaring down uh, the hill a little bit, look this way, probably was doing about 30, <laughs> kind of flew through the stop sign. And as I came on the highway, my dad was coming home from work and it was like slow motion, eyeball to eyeball, just like this. And I was like, I am so dead. <laughs> this is my last date ever. And so I stayed out late because I figured this was the last time. So <laughs> might as well go for the whole gusto, you know. Come home, uh, sure enough, there's a light on in the living room and my dad is sitting in his chair. And I remember thinking, this is not gonna go well. And I sat down and he said, I wanna talk to you about your driving. I said, yeah. And he started the conversation. I don't remember many gems of parenting from my parents, but this one I remember. I remember him saying, I can't ask you to do something I don't do. And I don't stop at that stop sign. So I can't ask you to do that. But what you did, and then he went on and talked about you know, way too fast and didn't look good, blah, blah, blah. And, but I remember, I just remember that moment where he recognized this reality. I can't be asking you to do something I'm not doing. And it's simple, but it's incredibly challenging. Because sometimes I want my kids to have their life figured out in ways that I haven't figured out yet. I want them to have priorities that I'm not living out. Um, whether it comes to church attendance or anything. I mean, just, it's all kinds of stuff. Modeling is hard. And then the last job is develop and send. In other words, get rid of them. <laughs> That's part of our job. And this one gets tough uh, because we are sometimes still back on loving and protecting. In fact, I tell people, if you stick on one and two loving and protecting, you actually, by, when the kids become teenagers, you actually become unhelpful. Not just annoying, but unhelpful. Because part of your job, your job, a mistake of most parents is they think their job is to raise children. That's not your job. Your job is to raise adults. And you have them as child, children for a while. 
but your job is to raise them and move them into something. A friend of mine is on church staff, and they were, she told me about the time they were talk, uh, uh, in a staff meeting, <clears throat> and her friend on staff got a phone call from her teenage daughter, uh, 19, maybe 20, home from college um, during Christmas break, and she went shopping at the Mall of America, because it's the Mecca of consumerism, so we go to the mall, and she is in the parking lot, the daughter, and she calls her mom, and she says, Mom, I'm lost in the parking lot. It's a big parking lot. The mom says, where are you? She says, I'm in the octopus lot, or whatever, you know. She said, you stay there, I'll be right there. And she started to hang up the phone. My friend, who's friends with her, knows the daughter, grabs the phone and says, Shelly, where are you? I'm in the octopus lot. Look up, drive around, there are signs with a word called exit on them. Follow the arrows and get out of there yourself. She's not coming for you, click. <laughs> and, the woman, and she turned to the woman and said, you weren't really gonna go. She said, well, yeah. That's unhelpful. That, that, that's that's a, a parent that still really loves her daughter and really doesn't want her to feel bad in the parking lot of Mall of America because she might get abducted. But you know what? That's not her job anymore. Her job is to keep loving her. Hey, I love you. I believe in you. You get out of there yourself. But it's, it trips us up. And so we struggle with, as this shifts, we struggle with the shifting of power and control. Who has power? Who has control? Again, how many of you are parenting nine-year-olds to 19-year-olds? Okay. Power and control issues show up all the time. Well, power and control shows up all the time. But it changes a little bit. So I'm going to go old school. I want to show you this little graph that will, um, is worth, worth, well, whatever. Here we go. <laughs> worth something. This is my little power and control graph of what I think a summary of parenting is and uh, how it changes in certain periods. So here's age zero. Um, here's age 10 to 13, sometime when the child becomes brilliant and you become stupid. All right. And then sometime over here is the age 18 to 30, sometime when they leave the family nest. A lot of you just prayed, oh God, don't let it be 30. <laughs> We're finding, by the way, this is, a, this is an extended adolescence issue and uh, so emerging adult issue. I call them the boomerang generation. You, stand, you throw them off the front porch and that's, they come back. You know, sometimes two years later, sometimes four years later, sometimes eight years later. Sometimes they stay for a week or a month or a year or a decade. It depends. So just be praying that your kid is, if you're doing your developing and sending, hopefully it won't boomerang too much. Um, so here, and I know this is not a straight line if you're parenting a two-year-old. It's never exactly a straight line. But here's basically the theory. At the beginning of life, kids have no power and control. You dress them, you bring them, do whatever. That's what's so fun about them. You show them off. And then over the course of time, their job is to gain in power and control, right? Their job is to move towards running their own life. It's called autonomy, independence, right? We all looked for it. Um, mom and dad, beginning of the journey, you own the power and control turf. And then by the time they leave the family nest, whatever it is, at 18 to 30, your job is to give up power and control. Um, right, it's fairly simple, but... Notice this right here. It starts to shift. Who owns it? Who doesn't own it? By the way, this has to happen. If this doesn't happen, you're going to the Mall of America to pick up your 20-year-old girl if you don't do that right. Um, I do uh, ordain, so I do weddings so once in a while. I can tell you how this power and control graph is going at wedding rehearsal night. 
based on watching the parents operate. Do the kids have power and control or are they still going, oh my gosh. Uh, that, because this is what you're wanting to do, right? Okay, that's fairly simple, but that makes it tough. This is the shifting of power and control to navigate that. Now, uh, it gets, I'm gonna mess it up just a little bit for you because here's how the kids generally want it to go. This is how it kind of naturally, this is how the kids want it. They say, okay, that might be all right, but I'm 12, which means I'm brilliant and I can make my own decisions. So I want to have all the power and control. Um, you ask a kid in this age bracket, one of the top things they'll say is I want to make my own decisions. I don't want you in my face. Don't tell me what to do, where to go, what movies to see, what ratings to do, what music I should listen to. Uh, you know, all that. You're just annoying if you do any power and control stuff because they would like the graph to be like this, right? And they say, therefore, okay, you did okay, but leave me alone. I want to just, um, you know, give me money, give me a big allowance, give me keys to the car, uh, pay my way to college. But really, other than that, mom and dad, your job is to go back to just love me. Just leave me alone. Just don't bother me. And so now you've got this tension. Can I, can I put the three words next to this that I put earlier? You are untrained for this. <laughs> you might have been trained. You might be doing pretty well here. When this starts to happen, it, it, you're not trained. And you get real tired. This is what gets real tiring. And now you start getting scared. What do I do? Am I over-controlling? Am I too much in their face? Uh, should I give up more? Should I give up less? How do I navigate this? We're untrained for this chapter. Now, okay, got that? Now here comes the typical parenting, you know, there's two parenting responses I've seen to this struggle, which every family, uh, uh, it just happens in every family, it's to some degree, uh, is going on. And it's untrained, tired, and scared. Here's, a, here's the first potential parental reaction to power and control struggle. It sounds something like this. Maybe you grew up with this family. This was my family of origin. I don't care, young man, what you do, but as long as you live in my house, you will do as I say. That just felt good saying it. Uh, that, <laughs> that was the mantra of my family of origin. I do not care what you, well, I don't care. This is the way the rules are. And, and uh, by the way, that, um, that doesn't speak much to love valuable, not alone. But it does speak to sin management, uh, control issues. All, here's what I'll tell you. I totally get why you're gonna do this in a point of an argument. I don't, you know, I'm done listening. I, it's my decision, leave me alone. I understand this is an argument, but, if, but studies show everything I've read about parenting, that if this is your choice of your parenting style over the life experience of your child in your home, that this is the least effective parenting style available to you. It, it, it doesn't seem, especially if you're, one of your hoped for outcomes is that they would absorb your faith, values, and morals. These kids tend to be the least likely to absorb faith, values, and morals of the, of the family system. In fact, studies show this is the kid who tends to be going away and they're a party waiting to happen. Uh, they break out of that family of origin. And you, some of you remember your freshman year in college. Well, you don't remember much of your freshman year in college. Um, by the way, this is the least effective parenting style. It doesn't change if you add a Bible verse to it it still doesn't seem to track in terms of integrating into the kid's life. 
Okay, that, but I get why you're gonna be there in an argument. The second one I've watched really happen in the last 10, 15 years in significant numbers, where parents start to do this, which is to say, they battle it along here, whatever that looks like, but at some point, they're untrained, tired, scared for this, and they hear the kids say, by the way, you're, whenever the kid talks to you, you're the only one that does this. You know, you're the only one. No one else does this. Um, all my other friends get to, right? Have you ever heard that? Um, so after a while, maybe you hang on to 13, 12, 14, but somewhere you just go, okay, I don't know what to do. So maybe my job, and they move into this style, which is maybe my job is to just make sure that they're on the teams and, and everything's going well, and uh, I, I'm just, I guess I'm pretty much done. And I will just tell you again, from everything that I've read, every study that I've understood, um, my own experience, this is the second least effective parenting style. If, if your hope is that they'll absorb your faith values and morals. So here's my lack of a clarity. <laughs> I'm talking about clarity. Um, I can't give you five easy answers on how to do this, but here's what I know. Good parenting is somewhere in here where you're messing with them longer than they want you to mess with them in ways that they don't want you to mess with them, but you consistently are moving away from man, only thinking about behavior management, but you're starting to build into them some things and you're giving up some things. Another speaker did it this way. I can't remember her name, so now I take full credit for it. Um, <laughs> it's, um, she talks about uh, identify your zones. The red zone is when you state yourself in the form of a conclusion, meaning this is the way it is, too bad, so sad. Uh, this is the way we do it in our house. And you should be able to say, in the McLuhan house, this is what we do, I'm sorry. I know you probably would rather be in another family, but you're not, so this is it, it's red. There ain't no discussion. Um, you have to pick your red zones. Here's the theory, you're gonna hear it. If you have the same amount of red zones when they're 17 as when they were seven, then you're making a mistake there. The idea is that your red zones go down as they get older. You, you're planning their independence. You're creating space for them to make some choices. But you're still, as long as they live in your house, I would argue this is where they have no red zones. That's why it's unhealthy. Kids need red zones. They need you to have some definition. They do need these things. They don't like these things, but they need them. Um, and, and if you can, when you're down here and you have a few red zones, let you be the escape clause. And parents will say, tell your kids, tell your friends, I have the worst parents in the world. I have to be home by midnight, I'm sorry. Or if there's drinking at the party, I'm gonna get so busted, I'm, I gotta call, you know, I gotta get out of here. Blame us, they said, let us be the escape clause. We don't care if your friends think we're the meanest parents in the world because we're here for you, not for them. So red means there's a conclusion. Yellow, you see the pattern, is you state yourself in the form of a discussion or an argument, meaning you actually are gonna interact with them about this and you might be willing to change your mind. Never pretend it's a yellow zone when you know it's a red zone. That's, that's bait and switch. But if you wanna say, well, let's talk about that, then be willing to have in your mind what that would look like to talk about that to give them an extra half an hour on curfew because this is a different thing than what they normally do or to let them try something that your at first reaction is, oh, I can't do that, um, but to let them try it, uh, yellow. And then uh, the third one you see is green. 
This is when you state yourself in the form of an argument. No, 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 sorry, wrong word. State yourself in the form of an opinion. So um, when they're into this zone, and it's a green zone, you can still have an opinion. And I think your kids need to hear your opinion. Um, often with my adult kids, when we're talking, I, I, I often hear myself saying this so that I'm ready. This is just my opinion. Doesn't, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. Why? Because they're my adult kids. I, I, I'm done with the red and yellow zone. Way done. But it helps me know this is just my opinion. And guess what? I have opinions. <laughs> and I occasionally like to share my opinion. But that's because we're in family. We're together. Um, so what this says is being more intentional about that. Um, what's your opinion about this? Um, uh, let me quickly tell you a story about uh, Bree, my middle daughter, our youngest daughter. Uh, she wanted to switch schools when she was, what, going in ninth grade? And she came up with this idea. And my initial reaction was, no, it's a dumb idea. Not as good of a school. And um, fortunately, Sue is much better at this. And we, we ended up talking about why. Why was my reaction so like, no, red zone, no, it's a dumb idea. Because I was scared. And when I get scared, I go to red zone. And so I, I wanted to ma manage it. Um, and yet what we did is we said to her, we'd like you to present your rationale for why you want to do this. Why is it you want to switch schools? I need to hear it. And we will really listen. We will really pay attention. Brie, being the drama queen, but also articulate, she writes, she writes out like a two-page paper on why she wants to switch her school. And she gave us two manila folders, one for dad and one for mom. Like I gave her three, four days. She wrote it. She handed it to us. She handed me that manila envelope. I guarantee you, I did not need to read it and I knew I lost the argument. Why? Because what do I want for my kid? I want my kid to be able to articulate and defend a position, stand up for her principles, uh, and, and not throw a temper tantrum, throw herself on the floor and scream and yell. That's the responsibility piece. She handed that to me and I, I didn't care what it said, but I did read it. And even in the middle, she had a little snarky comment, Dad, don't worry, I'm not going to join a gang and sell drugs. Why? Because she knows her dad is afraid of her going down that road. Why? Because I'm a dad. So it's, it's part of this deal of trying to figure out what that looks like. And so I lost the argument and won, really. But that's part of the deal. Okay, does that make sense? Untrained, tired, scared. Y'all face this. And so now to kind of close some thoughts this morning, I want to give you, try to do this as quickly as I can. I know it's been a while. Again, trying to wrestle with it. So what do healthy families look like? Really? I mean, I, I'm going to give you four traits and just see if, again, it'll, I want it to stir your thinking. Um, oh, here we go. Red, yellow, zoom. Traits of healthy families. Here's one. I think an environment is really important. The environment you create is essential. Um, and the only way you create this environment, it's spelled T-I-M-E. There is no other way to do it. Uh, this whole, I just, just focus on quality time. Um, quantity doesn't matter. Quantity matters because you never know when in the quantity a quality moment is going to pop up. And sometimes it's when you least expect it. So time is part of it. Um, I, I think we need to lighten up a little and have fun. This is why I love this. Because you get to have fun with your kids. And in the world in which we live, we're all stressed. It's hard, isn't it? Uh, hard to find a moment. So you have kids over three different age spans to find some fun that fits for all of them. Very difficult, but keep working on it. Um, listen to them. 
Look them in the eyes if they really matter and show interest in their world. Again, depending on their life stage and their personality, it's different. Um, affirm and applaud. Um, affirm and applaud, James Dobson said, the job of the parent is to find out what your kids are good at, spend the rest of your life applauding, <laughs> which I think is great. But I would add a more of a biblical term onto it, which is I think our job is to bless our kids. Affirm and applaud tends to be um, affirming actions and out external behaviors, which are part of who they are. But blessing in the, in the biblical sense is more you bless their personhood, their character, who they are, who they're becoming, the values they're holding, the things that are part of their autonomy. And you bless that. That's a, a, a biblical term of, of what that looks like. So let me just give you a quick example again, and just because I have family photos on the computer. Um, when Mandy graduated from uh, college and we got her whole family up to go to her thing, was it just because she graduated? Uh, no, we wanted to bless who she was becoming. Her creativity, her ability to see things that I don't see, her ability to organize things. I wanted us as a family to affirm that. So grandparents gathered around, we got the 5-1 people gathered so that we could be a part of that. Um, when Ryan and Laura started their married life together um, uh, with three months down in, in uh, Ecuador, not only was I proud of their action, but it, it just spoke to Sue and I about their character as a young couple. So instead of just doing what we had been doing and sending notes and stuff, Sue and I talked and said, you know what, we, we need to go down there. Just be with them and, and kind of, and that's that blessing. Um, not ritualized necessarily, but just to say, we just love what you are individually and what you are as a couple. And so we go down there, and, and now uh, we have a picture of them there. Uh, this is hard to see, but why did we spend way too many hours in a cold ice arena? Because our daughter was a figure skater, and she loved to do that, and so we spent hours. Um, and then she went from there where the blessing came. She went to North Park College and walked on as a cross-country runner. Had never run cross-country before. And she just called and said, I decided to join the cross-country team. Where'd that, what? Um, why did we fly down to Appleton or drive down to Appleton to go see a race? Because she's gonna win? No, she, by the way, let's, she's not here yet. She wasn't very good. <laughs> she was beating that girl, so I took a picture. <laughs> 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 but we went down because I wanted to bless the character of a girl who goes, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know these people. I've never done this before. But you know, I think this would be good. That's a character trait that I want to affirm. And so we go and we want to bless that, not affirm and applaud necessarily, although we'd, we applauded uh, that. So it, it's part of that whole idea of what do you want to bless? What do you want to draw out? And um, so the second thing is to develop a shared spiritual life. Develop an environment and develop a shared spiritual life, whatever that looks like for you. By the way, the only way you can pull this off, it's spelled T-I-M-E, time, doing some kind of spiritual things together, uh, involved in church programs, but also in the family. See your church as a partner to that. Our job is not as families to give the spiritual stuff to the parents or to the church. It's to work together to accomplish the goal of will our children have faith. It, it's a partnership. Um, and I speak to that as a person who was on the church side and I watched parents just think it was our job to give them God. What does it look like to be together? Um, talk, 
use the words, talk about life and faith together. Again, I know that's very hard for some of us. And we're gonna actually on Sunday talk about the excuses that you and I give to not doing this, this trait right here. So that's Sunday morning. Um, but talk about it. There's an old St. Francis of Assisi quote that we really totally butcher. Uh, communicate the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Um, but most of us in the church, many of us, uh, I've seen youth workers do the same. We're just going to communicate the gospel at all times. I'm just going to let my life be the gospel. You're just going to live in my home and you're just going to know the gospel. I'm like, really? You're that good? You know, maybe if they're around me, they might think I'm a nice guy. But are they going to really know about Jesus and, and the whole understanding of what grace is all about and what it means to fight? Really? By just by watching you, you're that good? I, if you are, whoo good for you. But I think we need to use words. Talking is part of it. Put, connecting. So highs and lows or the faith five or whatever works for you to get you uh, talking about what it means to, why you do certain things about, why does your, how does your faith shape you? What does that look like? Um, develop some kind of faith routines. Um, and I, 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 I uh, think this, they can be small. They don't have to be huge. I love this story. I wish this were my story, uh, but I can't take, steal this one. But uh, a friend of mine tells a story of his routine was he did the number six blessing on his children in the morning and then before he went to school. Uh, number six is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you and give you peace. It's great. And he'd do a version of that. And the kids loved it when they're little. Oh, put my, you know, because he'd put his hand on, on their head or on their shoulder and bless them before they went to sleep. And so they were always, it was just part of the deal. Well, then they get older and, you know, it, not all that exciting. And so he said he did a lot of half blessings as they were going to school. Oh, before you, may the Lord bless you and keep, and the door would slam. May the, may the face shine upon you, you little <laughs> um, So, but he did it all the way through. And he said, um, he took his oldest daughter to college, got her all in the dorm, had lunch. They were packed her up and they were walking to the car. And all of a sudden he heard his daughter call, Daddy, Daddy, you haven't given, my bless given me my blessing. So one of the most powerful family moments was standing in the courtyard of my daughter's college with my wife and I with our hands on her shoulder saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. I thought, dang, I wish that were my story. But we got to develop what some kind of routines that work for us. I, Pete, I have to tell you the, the thing you said last night about it, the graduation deal with a 10-mile walk with people who walk with him as a mark of their kid's graduation, 10 instead of 5-1, 10-1. What a great idea. I wish I would have thought of that. But any way you can find a routine that's about faith and life, um, it, go for it. Um, and then serve together. Families that serve and, and stretch themselves and care for other people together uh, instead of just the kids go on a mission trip, adults go on a mission trip, do stuff together. Yeah, it can be simple. This is, uh, oh, develop faith routines, uh, serve together. This is an old picture of us at, uh, at Feed My Starving Children. Um, and so do something together, okay? Number three, now it's identity. It's environment, it's uh, faith, and now it's build an, an identity. We joke about the McLuhan way of doing this. This is it. I mean, uh, some of that's just weird, but it's, by the way, the only way you can build an identity, might, you might see this pattern is spelled T-I-M-E. It's the only way it happens. 
Find out what your family experiences, spaces, and memories are and build them, work them. Some of them, this is one of your family spaces and memories, huge. Uh, for us, you mentioned our family, Paul Lake Resort, as I mentioned, that's a family memory. Um, our little cabin uh, up in Lindstrom is a place. Uh, we have memories of road trips. We have all kinds, you know, whatever it looks like. I grew up in a family with very few of these. Sue grew up in a family with more of these because it's about developing routines and rituals in this context. So uh, we, have all, we have many of them. Um, games, way we do Thanksgiving, holidays, certain birthdays. Um, let me just give you a couple examples real quickly. One is, uh, this is Christmas cookies in our home. Sue developed these routines and make Christmas cookies. And so the kids have been doing years, pictures, blah, blah, blah. Why is that all of a sudden Mandy is dating her present husband? She called up one um, December or November and said, we got to do Christmas cookies with Jeremy. Why? He, he knows nothing about this. His family didn't ever do Christmas. And she's like shocked. How could he grow up normal? And so she said, we got it. So we bring Jeremy over while he's dating my daughter and we make Christmas cookies together. Why? Because it's just one of those little things. It has nothing to do, we didn't, we didn't do a devotional before we did the cookies. We just ate a lot of them. Um, and, and so we have another one, uh, flags on the birthdays. Um, Brie is Korean, she was feeling a little Irish that year. Uh, <laughs> And so she, and we have a picture of them from year one all the way through. There's Mandy just this past year uh, because I, I'm Irish, Sue is Norwegian and Swedish. So on Sue's birthday, the two flags, on me, I'm purebred Irish, uh, Korean. Neighbors know whose birthday it is when they drive by. It's a simple little thing. By the way, some traditions will hold all the way through like this one, but some won't. Um, like our first day of school routine. Um, and so the lunchbox, and then, you know, the pick, hi, I'm in first grade, and all the dress, you know, that's really, they love it. And then it's, hi, I'm in third grade, and then, uh, hi, I'm in sixth grade. And then, hi, I'm in 11th grade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes they just don't work as well. <laughs> But you got to do what you got to do and give it a shot and see what happens. Um, we start a new one. So I give this one to you only because I know you're going to steal it. Um, this, is, this is a great one. Sue read some article. It said, if you take two hard-boiled eggs and you hit them next to one another, only one of them will crack. We're like, ooh, that's a game. That's a game. We now call it the Egg Bash, the McLuhan Egg Bash Tournament. It's like five or six years running. And we have an Egg Bash Tournament where every member of the family from child to great grandma take two eggs, decorate them. Here's our little decorate, rumple egg skin. And uh, I don't know what that other one was. That's probably Ryan's scary one. Um, and they, you smash them and sure enough, one breaks and one doesn't and you move on and you have a, a tournament and you have an ultimate champion of each round and then they play each other and you have a grand champion, um, uh, Egbert. What's it? It's, what's the, we titled it. We have a throne that the egg sits on. Um, and the champion last year uh, was, was our youngest one of the family at that point. Anybody can win. It's just kind of really dumb, okay? I'm not talking spiritual. I'm just saying some kind of routines and then repeat family values. What do you believe in? What do you like? What do you want to do? What do you want them in their life? Repeat them. Um, repetition. Last one um, is don't uh, admit your need for help. 
untrained, tired, and scared, it's okay to need help. In fact, healthy families admit this because uh, you can't do this alone. You can't. Um, this is why spaces like, this, spaces like this are really important. And I want to do the last word and I'll tell you a last story. Um, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Remember that Winston Churchill speech, don't give up, don't you give up, don't you ever give up. Um, that's a huge issue um, that I just want for some of you, maybe it's tired. Your tired dimension is winning. Uh, but don't give up. Um, I got Mandy's permission. I want to tell you a story about Mandy uh, before we go. Uh, Mandy uh, was the kid that... Um, Boy, I just still remember when I would walk in the door and she would run across the room and jump in my arms and say, I love you, Daddy. And it was sacred. And uh, then she hit some age, whatever that age was, whether it's 13 or 14 or 15, when uh, she really didn't like us much. Um, and that, uh, Ryan and, you know, had his journey through adolescence, but our relationship was, was I think, pretty good most of the time. Um, that... that worked for me. Mandy surprised me. And she began to stiff arm us. And the stiff arm was physical and emotional and relational. And she wanted nothing to do with us. Literally, when we would hug her, she could feel her stiffen up. She would just tighten away, want not be with us. She wouldn't, she wouldn't respond. When we would say, I love you, which we tried to do often, um, she would give us a grunt or a shrug or whatever. Uh, and it started to get tiring. And we were untrained for this. We didn't know what to do. Folks, if it weren't for my, our cell group, I remember coming to our cell group and we just would talk about it. And it was our cell group in our church that prayed for us. And they kept giving us a message, don't give up on her. I'd reach out to touch her and she'd do this. Don't touch me, dad. Leave me alone. I'm gonna touch you, you little twerp. I'm a, <laughs> you know, it just brought out all the stuff. And it was my cell group in my church that kept saying, pray for her, love her. Don't quit, don't quit. Touching her. My job was to give her a permanent twitch, you know, to get her. Because keep, be appropriate, but keep going after it. We, you know, Sue would hug her when she'd go to school, even though she didn't want it. But keep, tell her you love her, even though we'd get no response for years 16, 17, 18, 19. And it was our cell group that said, don't give up, don't give up. And it was, I have to tell you, it was hard. It was, it, there's a part of me just said, you know, I, I go, fine. But again, it was not because I couldn't do it alone. Um, and, you know, then she went to college. Now she's maybe 19 years old. And um, I'm, she calls and she, we're talking about something. Um, and at the end I said, man, yeah, I love you. And yeah, usually we got, well, oh, whatever. Um, I said, man, I love you. She said, love you too. And she hung up the phone. And I just stood there in the kitchen, Sue and I talked, but I just stood there in the kitchen looking at the phone and she said, what, what did she say? And I said, she said, I love you too. And it was just like, oh. And I remember asking, why did she say that to you? You know, it was just, it, 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 I was a loving husband, I said, because I'm the better parent. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, would, I would not be standing if that were true. I said, Sue, it was, a, it was a mistake. She's on the other end of the line going, oh my gosh, what did I say? But you know what that told us? Just below the veneer, it's there. It's just below this veneer of this stuff that she was dealing with and working on and couldn't say it, but it snuck out and I went, we're close, hon, we're close. You know, we tell our cell group, we're praying about this. We a few weeks later, uh, she comes home and she, her car was uh, broken or something, so she borrowed my car 
And she turned around and drove back to Duluth and I was gonna fix her car. Drove to Duluth, like three hours later, we get a phone call, she's in tears. And she has been in a car accident. And a car has run a red light and totaled our car. So she says, Dad, I'm sorry, your car's wrecked. I just got an accident. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. My car's wrecked and I don't know what to do. I, you know, um, I said, what, what happened? A guy ran a red light. It wasn't our fault. And, but your car's like really wrecked. <laughs> okay, I get the point. Um, but have you been to the hospital? Have you been checked out? Yes, we went to the hospital. We're all okay. But Dad, the tow driver said your car's totaled. I said, Mandy, I get it, but let me tell you something as clearly as I possibly can. I do not care about my car. It is a hunk of metal. It means nothing to me. You mean everything to me, and I love you, and that's all that matters. And she said, without having to hang up the phone, she said, I know, Dad, and I love you too, and I'm really sorry. And she just started crying. And I thought, you can, you can wreck my car any day to get to that place. Because the broken heart over the years was now being restored. Now, when she tested that theory two weeks later, when she uh, totaled another car, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But um, that, that was a reminder. And folks, um, when a few years ago, when she asked me to uh, walk her down the aisle, It wasn't just that I got to walk her down the aisle. It's that it was a reminder that my church helped me not give up on that girl. And I love my adult relationship with Ryan. I love my adult relationship with Mandy. She's a great kid. But what an honor it was to do that. Not only to do that, but she's the one that has struggled with faith issues and still presently is struggling with how this works and does it really work for her. But she asked me to do that ceremony. And folks, I just, wherever you are, if you're being stiff-armed, don't give up. And you can't do it alone. There are people here who'll pray with you. There are people in your home church who'll pray with you. But sometimes we just have to get the courage to admit it. And if you're not there, don't panic. It may not happen. But if it does, there's a God who's with you. There are people who are with you. And these moments like this can remind us. We may be untrained, tired, and scared, but God is calling us as parents to be the ones that love our kids, tell them they're loved, they're valuable, not alone, no matter what. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, each person here and every family represented here. Whether we're a grandparent trying to love our grandkids uh, in addition to our own children, whether we're one of the five that surrounds another kid we aren't related to, but we, we care for them, or whether we're a parent. Give us wisdom and courage to be the faithful parent, to be that, that person that can be a positive influence, to teach, to model, to create the environment that speaks to everyone's needs. We are grateful for this chance to be together. Thank you so much for what uh, this, these days are for us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thanks so much for a chance uh, to be with you.